everyone. I'm Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S., and I'm a contributing writer to Supply Chain Management Review. Today, I'm really, really excited uh, to welcome my guest, Carrie Camel, the director, and she was just announced the director today, so the director of the Anti-Counterfeiting and Product Protection Center at Michigan State University. She's an accomplished intellectual property attorney and professor and a human rights advocate. We're gonna be talking about the world of counterfeiting today and how it affects your supply chain. And this is a topic that I've been interested in for quite some time in both supply chain as well as in my expert witness work. And I truly believe that we must raise the awareness of counterfeiting to supply chain professionals uh, because it's not high in terms of visibility and yet it is super important. It's estimated that counterfeits represent about $30 billion per year in losses to companies. And that's just for counterfeits that are reported. And we're not just talking about fake watches and purses and stuff like that here. Counterfeits are found everywhere, including industrial goods and electronics. So let's get started. Good w welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background, how you came to be affiliated with Michigan State and the ACAP Center? Sure. Um, great question. So um, I, um, I went to law school and uh, had a focus in international law and wanted to spend um, my career doing public international law, uh, relations between states, um, a lot of international criminal work and human rights work. And I did that for a few years. Um, when I was in law school, I had studied intellectual property as well as criminal law and a whole, whole wide range of areas as most, as most law students do. Um, and then, you know, I heard about an opening at Michigan State. Um, I had just recently um, come back from Iraq and had started a job at Michigan State working on Middle East programs, which was my, my primary um, international focus um, in the years that I spent doing international law. Um, so I did that for a while, and then I heard about this opening at the ACAP Center, um, the Center for Anti-Counterfeiting and Product Protection, and I thought, you know, I don't remember learning about this in law school. You know, I studied trademark law, I studied criminal law, and I'd never heard about, you know, IP crime, let alone trademark counterfeiting. So, you know, I, I applied for the job, very curious, um, interested both in, you know, the substance of the job, but what the center was doing. Um, and ever since then, I have you know, I've spent over seven years now at the center um, learning and, and researching um, and, and networking and discussing, you know, with the public and private sectors what this phenomenon is, um, what ways we can arrest it or even prevent it, um, and then what we can do on the academic side to, to help further, further that goal. So how big a problem is counterfeiting? You know, I mentioned it's $30 billion, but tell us a little bit more about the, the details. Where are counterfeits found and, you know, how big a problem is it? Sure. So that is, that is the million or billion dollar question. Um, how big is it? And it's something that we in academia have been, have been looking at, but it's something that's also very hard to quantify. Um, so prior to coming into the ACAP Center, I had done a lot of research on human trafficking, for example. So this is another type of what we call illicit trade. Um, 
human trafficking, product counterfeiting or trademark counterfeiting, weapons trafficking, drug trafficking, they all sort of fall under this umbrella of illicit trade. And any illicit trade by its nature is very hard to measure and quantify. Um, a lot of businesses see this as a business problem, which it is, but it's often funded or committed by people that are connected to organized crime or other types of illicit trade activity, making it very hard to quantify. So the numbers that we have, as you, you, know, you rightly quoted, um, are from organizations such as the OECD, which is the Organization on Economic Cooperation and Development, or from customs agencies throughout the world who will report out on the amount of seized counterfeit goods coming into their borders, which as you may know is the number itself is accurate, but it's not an accurate reflection of how much counterfeit product is actually coming in. So we look at something like um, US Customs and Border Protection data, and we know um, that they only look at one to 2% of incoming product into the United States because that's all they can can do in order to keep the, the flow of, of goods coming into the country. Otherwise, it would totally stop the supply chains if they had to inspect everything. And we know the statistics they have from that. Um, we also know statistics from companies who've done their own seizures um, of goods, um, as well as a lot of um, online companies that do web scraping to see what's out there. That's not necessarily an accurate reflection of how, how many goods there are, but it shows how many counterfeit postings for sales there are. Um, and then there's a lot of other organizations, especially around the UN um, or the EU that tend to study this as well, but it's very difficult to quantify. What we do know from the center is anyone that has any type of product that has a trademark on it, um, that is a successful product and there is um, demand for it in the marketplace, whether that's consumer facing or whether that's you know business to business is gonna be counterfeited in some way. Counterfeiters target those who have successful products. They're not going to ever target someone who does not have a successful product because what they do is they rely on the goodwill of that company and the reputation of that company to create a product that some consumer or buyer wants. Um, so they're only going to go after those successful companies. Where do we see it happening was the other part of your question. Um, current statistics, at least out of the U.S. government right now, um, note that majority of it comes from China. Um, at least as what we receive in the U.S. So we will see globally that, that those patterns look differently depending on where you, know, where you are, whether you're in Latin America, whether you're in Africa, Middle East, Asia, different parts of Asia, Western, Eastern Europe, and so on. Um, but right now in the U.S., most of the counterfeit product does come from, from manufacturing in China. Um, that being said, too, um, it's really complex. So each country, if we look at them, can either be a, uh, in a country of origin, so a country where counterfeit goods are manufactured, a transit country where they're moved through, or a destination country, so where, where they are sold to. A lot of countries will see multiple, um, you know, multiple labels. For example, China is both an origin and a destination country. You look at somewhere like the Emirates, um, they tend to be more of a transit country, although they do have some that, that originate from there and some that are sold there. The United States is primarily... Um, a, a destination country, but we're also transit and country of origin as well. Although our destination, we tend to have a lot of consumer consumption here. So we, we end up with a lot of counterfeit goods. Yeah, so, so I'm gonna break that down a little bit. So we know that manufacturing is migrating from China. Uh, there are an awful lot of companies that are leaving China now and going to another low cost country such as Vietnam or uh, uh, Indonesia, Thailand, you know, places like that, and Mexico. 
and, and it's my understanding the counterfeiters are moving right along with them. So Correct. it isn't that, you know, we're going to solve the problem of having counterfeiters in China. It's that China was the opportunity country and now that's moved to many other countries. Is that is that what you're finding as well? Yep, you're exactly right. And we've been seeing that pattern happen for some time. And I think we're going to continue to see that shift um, depending on, you know, which countries start being the lower cost manufacturing countries. Um, you know, a couple of my colleagues and I, a couple of years ago, we, we think that, you know, Africa might be one of those next destinations um, where that starts happening as the cost of, of human labor is much less, unfortunately. Um, and we tend to see you know, counterfeit manufacturing often be associated with with some type of international labor violation as well, poor working conditions, um, sometimes bordering on inhumane or slave-like conditions. There's several agencies that have put out different reports around that. So we will we will see that continue to shift over time um, as countries evolve and their economies evolve and and their manufacturing evolves as well. So, uh, so industrial buyers, for example, that might be considering uh, an alternate country to China because of a counterfeiting situation are likely to to face counterfeiting in any country they're sourcing. So we've got to watch out for that. Correct. The, the other thing, yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to um, also talk about when you when you mentioned this that there are um, nefarious people in all kinds of uh, uh, criminal activities, gun trafficking or arms trafficking, human trafficking, you know, uh, drug cartels, all that kind of thing that are using counterfeits to raise funds or as a way to launder uh, money. But there are also a bunch of teenagers out there that are buying counterfeit goods and reselling them on on Amazon, for example, or eBay or different places. You know, I'm, I'm um, guilty of buying products that I knew were not uh, genuine, like, uh, for example, uh, a charger for my laptop. I'm always looking for a lightweight charger uh, that um, I can travel with and it's a little easier to, to, to use and travel with. And, you know, I know I'm buying uh, a non-branded part uh, that may be branded you know, HP or Dell or something like that, even though it's not, um, it's not real. So, you know, part of the, the guilt comes on uh, the consumer as well. I mean, the consumer's got to take responsibility for making sure they're buying real parts, right? Yeah, and, and it's complicated, right? So there's deceptive and non-deceptive counterfeits. So deceptive means you don't really know you're buying counterfeit. And I would say with the explosion of online sales, harder and harder to tell as a consumer whether you're buying counterfeit or not. I mean, I work in this field and have for seven years. Last year, I probably bought seven or eight products online that went, I didn't realize they were counterfeits. They got to my house. The posting looked legitimate. I looked for all of the signs that we know will, will sort of differentiate between a fake and a real product. And I still got them and they were still counterfeit. And I said, okay, I work in this field. What about the average consumer? Um, most people don't go about saying, I'm looking to buy counterfeit, although there are entire segments of our society that are obsessed, for example, with dupes. So we see that in you know, the luxury brand space, um, that people know they're buying fake product. We see social media influencers you know, talking about you know, unboxing a dupe and how good is it compared to the original. So we just see that. But then we see a lot of unwitting consumers buy the deceptive counterfeits, where it's very hard, where if you hold up you know, two products next to each other, 
it is almost impossible to tell unless you are the actual brand who's manufactured it. And sometimes they even have to go back to their engineering department or do testing on it to determine whether it's real or not. Sometimes it's very difficult to tell. I've been to the museum in Washington, D.C., and uh, where they have all the, the counterfeits next to the real products, it's impossible to tell the difference. Just no yeah. way. And there's just no way you can tell. And so that, you know, that scary thought um, in an industrial buying situation in supply chain, supply chain people, um, in industrial buying and in purchasing departments, the, the buyers are often uh, rewarded for how much money they can save. Right. So sometimes they get bonuses if they save the company a lot of money. And that's a, you know, one of their main uh, ways they're evaluated uh, is on savings. So obviously they're going to look for anything that might be slightly cheaper and to be able to recognize those savings for the company. So that is, a, I think, a misalignment of goals um, because they're likely to be buying counterfeits unknowingly in order to achieve their own personal goals of saving for the company or, you know, that's the way they're evaluated. And I think that's a, a huge problem that we need to deal with in supply chains to make sure that people aren't just buying whatever's cheapest um, in order to achieve those, those goals. So it's kind of a mismatch. It's the wrong, the wrong goal. And in an industrial situation, um, you know, they might be buying electronics or you know, a lot of electronics, I guess, um, or all kinds of industrial products that go into production. So I always think about that when I get on an airplane and I buckle my seatbelt and we're ready to take off. And because of the work that I've done in, in uh, counterfeiting, I always think, oh, man, I hope there's no counterfeits in the avionics on this airplane. Um, you and, and me both. <laughs> Yeah, and it may be no way to tell. I mean, you know, the the air, airliners um, or the airlines may think they have legitimate problem uh, products, and they just don't know. So, are most of the counterfeiters though operating in online sales? So it isn't just consumers who are buying things, but uh, industrial buyers also have sections on Amazon, for example, where they can buy industrial goods now, uh, eBay eBay is a place where a lot of counterfeits are, is my understanding. So is online the biggest problem for counterfeiters? Or so for, that's a, you know, counterfeit? Yeah, um, so that's a great question. So traditionally it wasn't, um, and we've seen that evolution occur over the last 10 years, but predominantly over the last two and a half years because of the onset of the pandemic um, and everybody forced to work online um, in one way or another. I mean, there's obviously still a lot of people that are coming back um, into the face-to-face, -face, but we've seen that move in that direction. It's been great, right? I mean, I've been able to work from home. I can buy everything I need from my house to be shipped directly to my house as a consumer. Um, but we also see that happen more and more on the industrial side as well. So it, it's sort of the same, you know, you know, the same sort of, look back in the brick and mortar of know your suppliers. Um, that, that still holds true even to the online space. Um, so if you're buying something, like you said, and you are only looking at cost, whether you are a buyer or whether you are a consumer, that is gonna be a big problem for you. Um, and the counterfeiters know that. Um, they, they price accordingly. And sometimes it's very subtle. So it used to be very glaringly obvious where the real product may be you know, $100 a, a case, and then the counterfeit product would be like $15 a case. So everyone's like, oh, that good is, you know, that that's too, too good to be true. And it was. 
but now they're more savvy. So now they may put it at $90 a case. So it looks like it's a legitimate discount when in fact it isn't. Um, so they've gotten better at that. Um, and they're always, they always seem to be not one step ahead, but they, they move very quickly in, in what the patterns look like. So if someone's looking at patterns of counterfeiting two or three years ago and trying to apply business strategy to that now, it probably won't be very effective because of how rapidly they, they switch and they, they switch gear and they change pace because they have no regulations to follow. Um, they are essentially illicit entrepreneurs in that sense. So if they can make money off of it and they can get into either some type of legitimate supply chain in some way or another, um, you know, and sometimes that happens through a combination, as you were mentioning, of what we call converging crimes with counterfeiting. So sometimes it's on the very scary side, which is terrorism, drug trade, you know, human trafficking. But sometimes it's combined with white collar crime, too, um, with employee theft, um, with, you know, other things where maybe someone will take out a couple pallets of legitimate and put in the counterfeit product and then go sell the legitimate on the black market. There's a lot of different ways that we see that happen. Wow, it's pretty scary in, in, in terms of they're everywhere. They're all around us. I saw a statistic that said one in five products that you buy on Amazon or eBay is likely to be counterfeit. One in five. And just, you know, like you said, I, I do the same thing. I buy all kinds of stuff online. It comes to my house. It's convenient. You know, it just seems like the, the, the best thing to do at this time and place. And yet, there's likely, I likely buying counterfeit products and don't know it. Yeah. Wow. It's really, really scary, especially in, you know, important situations where it's a life and death issue, like, like electronics, for example, and automobiles and airplanes, uh, as well as um, cosmetics. I think cosmetics are really high on the list of counterfeits. Uh, anything that you're putting on your skin or ingesting nutraceuticals, that sort of thing. These are all subject to counterfeiters and it could be quite harmful. In fact, I've read some horror stories about people who ingested uh, counterfeit pharmaceuticals and that uh, were given them by, you know, by a legitimate doctor or, uh, you know, prescription was written and just didn't know that there were counterfeits in that supply chain. So these are scary times for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so what what kind of things, and I know from my research also that there are some um, technologies out there that can be added to products to make sure that they are legitimate, there's some there's software, there's all kinds of things. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of things uh, we can do or take advantage of in order to prevent purchasing uh, counterfeit products? Sure. So um, great question. So from the business side, um, the ACAP Center has always advocated for a very holistic approach um, to fighting counterfeiting, meaning not just one tool will work or there's one magic technology that you can slap on a product that will prevent counterfeiting, but we really believe there has to be a proactive and a, and a reactive approach. So the reactive approach is what we often hear about in the media, um, which is someone has discovered counterfeit, whether it's online, whether it's in their legitimate supply chain. And then they go and try to fix that problem. That will always exist no matter what. And that is what companies will do spend a lot of time doing, um, especially because, you know, when one of these incidents happen, they have to be responsive, um, especially if it's in the media or it's leaked in some way. They have to show that they're taking proper steps. And most companies want to do that anyways. But then on the proactive side, um, 
you know, a lot of things have to have to happen in order to be really successful with this. And we've seen, you know, a lot of companies that we work with personally, we work with about over 500 different different companies, everyone from multinational enterprises to smaller, um, smaller local businesses, you know, the steps that they take using the resources they have to really be proactive. Some of that can be, you know, training different units throughout the enterprise on what is counterfeiting and how they can really take steps to help prevent it. Um, so as you mentioned, the buyers, um, a lot of times negotiating these supplier contracts or audits or whatever that may look like of manufacturing facilities for the product or the packaging um, and really being proactive about sort of what those warning signs are and how to be able to see that um, throughout the supply chain. Can you talk about that a little bit? You mentioned earlier that you you um, evaluated a product online before you bought it and you were looking for certain things. What are those certain things that we can look for, um, you know, when we're deciding whether to buy something or not, make sure it's legitimate? Sure. So, so there's two different, I think, like paths for that, right? One is if you're buying company to company, business to business. The other is if you're a consumer buying online. So if you're a consumer buying online, um, I would advocate, especially if you're buying from an e-commerce site, that you are buying only from the manufacturer of the good. So if I am buying you know, I mean, I have in front of me some clear eyes eye drops. I'm only buying them from the manufacturer. I'm not buying them from like discount eye drops or, you know, eye drops or rust or whatever that may be, but I'm buying them only from the manufacturer. So that is probably one of the best and most solid ways to be able to do that. However, sometimes that's difficult to determine still. Um, and one of those things you have to do is especially on some sites, which hopefully with new congressional legislation up, this will be changing soon. It's very difficult to find the manufacturer. You have to scroll all the way down on the page and try to see who it is actually sold by, because sometimes they'll name the stores with the legitimate brand name, even though it's not the brand that's selling it. And then you look below and it's coming from China or from Vietnam or from wherever that is. So actually look through who is selling that. That takes time. You know, if we're used to one click and it gets delivered tomorrow, you know, that whole transaction can take less than 30 seconds to look for a product, buy it, ship it, it'll come prime the next day, but to actually look through who is selling it and where they are shipping it from. Um, that's a good step. It's not necessarily foolproof. Um, but to look at pricing too, I mean, we've seen a lot of scenarios, like I mentioned earlier, where the counterfeiter will come in uh, on like a listing one or two cents cheaper than the legitimate brand. Um, and they do that because if you rank via price, they will show up first every time. And people always often go for the legitimate one. But also to understand too that shipping, um, for example, if someone is selling with Prime and you get it a day or two later, that's not a guarantee as well that the product isn't counterfeit. Um, it's not going through Amazon's facilities. So it's coming straight from the seller. Um, and, and if you don't know the seller, who knows what they're sending you? So that's my understanding that Amazon is pushing really hard to get their sellers um, to ship direct instead of through the Amazon centers. So a lot of the suppliers have been moved to their own platforms. It used to be they deliver, say, a pallet load of um, goods to an Amazon warehouse. And then as sales uh, were were made, they decrement that inventory and then replenish it. But they, Amazon has pushed those suppliers back to their own facilities. So they'll uh, get an order and then the supplier ships direct. And that's, uh, 
that's a little that's a little scary too. It reduces at least some oversight or some uh, you know kind of um, organization that might be uh, like Amazon, for example. I know they have a very active um, uh, anti counterfeiting group. So there's at least some oversight there. But when you're shipping from a distributor or someone that you don't know and can't verify, um, that creates another another uh, problem or an opportunity for counterfeiters. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I'm not aware of that shift on, on Amazon's part, but I, I actually don't know if that I think that's probably a, a an okay idea um, as opposed to all of that going through the warehouse, because I think when it goes through the warehouse, it does lend legitimacy, right? Like you mentioned that it's gone through some type of process, whether it has or not. Um, and, you know, there was these, these two or three pieces of pending legislation um, from earlier this year that were introduced into both the House and the Senate about a year ago. Um, they were bipartisan, bicameral um, pieces of legislation, the Informed Consumers Act and the Shop Safe Act. And part of those were, were putting in place proactive measures for e-commerce platforms um, to vet both the sellers and their products um, in advance um, to the best they can um, to, to try to weed out some of these counterfeiters. Some platforms are doing that already. Um, some have started doing it since the legislation was proposed, um, but it's yet to be seen you know, where, where that's going to fall um, and what that's going to look like. Can you talk a little bit about some of the technologies too? So it's, it's sure. my understanding that some some companies put actually put chips in their products um, and you know ways of validating things. And there's a software available also. So can sure. you talk a little bit about those kind of solutions? Yeah, and that goes back to what I was mentioning about the proactive approaches, right? So so using technology is often a proactive approach for brands. Um, and what they can do, there's a variety of different types of technology um, and that are out there, which are ever evolving, um, also to try to keep up with the counterfeiters, everything from um, covert, semi-covert marks, holograms, you know, barcodes, RFID tags, um, blockchain, artificial intelligence and machine learning, all of these are being used right now for anti-counterfeiting as well as many other things. So anything from like a track and trace type of technology, which is used primarily in the legitimate supply chain to take a product or a, a product in a package or in a pallet or whatever that may be, and to trace it from the point of leaving the manufacturing facility until wherever its end, um, end location is, whether that's you know, in a, in a store for a consumer or whether that's in a plant um, to manufacture some other type of part. But that technology enables one to sort of follow what that looks like. How that is used um, can make a difference too. Whether the, the technology is just on a pallet, sometimes we've seen that happen and then counterfeiters empty the pallet and put fake product in the pallet. Whether that is on the individual package, whether it's actually embedded in the product itself, um, and of course, this varies depending on what the product is. I mean, we think of everything from like um, automobile replacement parts, to, as you mentioned, airline, to food ingredients, to makeup ingredients. I mean, this can vary widely and it, it is also com the complexity of it varies depending on what it is and how easy it is to put a technology into things. But I've heard like something just came out, a new technology came out maybe a month ago, um, around food counterfeiting. And that is a, a, some type of additive or technology where you can tell if the liquid inside of a bottle is fake or real, like if it's actually the product or not without having to open the bottle. 
And I was like, that's incredible. But that's something that's necessary because you can have a legitimate real package, you know, of let's say some type of, you know, flavored water and you have no idea what's actually in the package um, without opening it and testing every single bottle, which as you can imagine sort of defeats the whole purpose. So technology has to be used in a way that is still cost effective um, for the company. It does its job, but then doesn't raise the price of the product so much that the consumers will stop buying it or whoever the, the end, you know, the end user is, will stop buying. It can't be cost prohibitive. So there's this, there's this cost benefit analysis of it, right? You can't just throw all the biggest technologies in the world on a Band-Aid, for example, or a pencil or something, you know, that has a lower lower risk. But um, for some of these products you mentioned earlier, anything you put on and in your body or your, your pet's body, or that is a health and safety issue, any type of electronic that could catch on fire or explode or something around that, um, you know, it's, it's worth, it's definitely worth thinking about from a, from a corporate perspective. And coming out of the pandemic, of course, we saw, you know, counterfeiting being a, a huge problem in PPE production in China, uh, to the extent that even the Chinese customs were stopping shipments going out of China. Uh, and those are, you know, that's a situation where we were desperate for this kind of equipment and, um, you know, d- uh, consumables, medical consumables and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, so it gave rise to all sorts of counterfeiters and illegitimate manufacturing sites all over the world to try to address that that demand and people that were, you know, making a huge amount of money on uh, selling these kind of goods around the world, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So, yeah, yeah, boy, big issue. So, you know, we're hoping that more uh, technology becomes or or is introduced into supply chains in order to control these these illegitimate products from moving further or being stopped along the supply chain somewhere where it's determined that they're not uh, legitimate goods. So that's, you know, hopeful, at least in the future. And I know, you know, as you were saying, I know you've testified um, in front of Congress, both uh, the Senate and the and the House. Um, and I'm a member of the National Association of Manufacturers, and I'm on the anti-counterfeiting committee there. So there's work being done, but it's it's slow. And I think it's also up to um, industrial buyers, people in supply chain to, to be aware of what they're doing, to ask questions, uh, to try to legitimize um, who they're buying from and, um, and what you know, might be a component product in, in uh, those individual parts and, and products. Well, it's been fascinating, Carrie. Um, really, really appreciate it. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? No, just that, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, every, every department or every profession that works in industry um, has to really sort of pay attention to and and work across um, what might normally be traditional silos within a company. So even if you're in supply chain, this is an area sometimes where you might have to bring in legal or, um, you know, security um, or something like that. We see the most effective approaches to this are ones that are truly, you know, multi-division, multidisciplinary, where where the company is working together um, to deal with this because it isn't just a supply chain issue or just a security issue or just a legal issue. Um, it's something that really can can affect an entire company. And as always, you know, 
we're, we're an academic center. We're always willing to talk to people or, or help them or provide our resources. They're free um, to anyone and they're available on our website. So with that in mind, can you give us a contact information for the ACAP Center and, and your, your contact information? Um, sure. The ACAP Center's website is a-capp.msu.edu. Um, and my email is kkamel at msu.edu. Also available on our website. Thank you so much. And you can listen to more frictionless supply chain podcasts posted on Supply Chain Management Review's landing page, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at our Coates, R-C-O-A-T-E-S, at reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Have a great day.